Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Legend has it that the world's first sex dolls were actually created in the 16th century. As the story goes, these dolls were made of leather and cloth scraps that were stitched together to create sexual companions for European sailors who were traversing the ocean on very long and very lonely voyages. Although many sources tell some variation of this story, its validity has been questioned. Even if it's not an entirely true story, what we do know is that sex dolls aren't a new concept or even a new product by any stretch of the imagination. People have been using them for a very long time, and they've evolved a lot in the last couple of decades. Modern sex tech is rapidly changing the way that people gratify their sexual and intimate desires. Sex dolls, sex robots, and chatbots are starting to become more accessible and more popular. So let's talk about sex tech. In today's show, we're going to discuss who is using these new technologies, their motivations, and the complex debate that's playing out in the popular media about whether sex dolls, robots, and chatbots are going to be a positive or negative force in our lives. My guest is Dr. Kenneth Hansen, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Wyoming in the Department of Criminal Justice and Sociology. Using qualitative and mixed methods, his work has examined social issues related to artificial intelligence, sexuality, emotions, and sex toys. He has published papers about dating apps, the sex tech industry, Reddit, and sex doll owners. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're gonna jump in right after the break. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTech's is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. The Kinsey Institute's Art and Artifact Collection contains thousands of items from around the world spanning more than 2,000 years of human history. You can check out some of the items in the newly opened Kinsey Institute Gallery on the Indiana University Bloomington campus, which is open to the public from 9.30 to 4, Monday through Friday. You can also find two Kinsey Institute art exhibitions at the Wilsig Erotic Art Museum, located in the heart of South Beach in Miami, Florida. Check the show notes for more information or visit kinseyinstitute.org. Hi, Ken, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Thanks so much for joining me. I am very much looking forward to talking with you about sex dolls. So... You conduct research on sex dolls, robots, and chatbots, and the people who use them. So let me start by asking you how you got into researching this topic in the first place and why you think it's important to study. Yeah, thanks for asking that. It's a question I come across a lot because it's such an odd area of research. But really, as a social scientist, I am driven by empirically informed answers And when I was reading about sex dolls and chatbots, there was a lot of literature and a lot of news coverage that made 
really big claims, some very positive, some very negative, about the ethical considerations. And there were a lot of stereotypes circulating around who uses this technology. But there really wasn't any empirical research. And so I felt that as a sociologist, I had something to add there by actually interviewing these people, getting to know them, and learning something from their perspective about why they use this technology, what their backgrounds are. And it's just kept me motivated for something like three, four years now. And there's probably enough questions to ask to keep you busy for decades because, you know, as you mentioned, there really isn't a lot of research in this area. And I've seen the same thing as you. There are tons of popular media articles about this, and they're often making these very big, very bold claims, either about how this is going to be great and revolutionary or how it's going to destroy us and, you know, end the world as we know it. But nobody has any real data that can speak to it. So I appreciate that you're doing work in this area. Now, before we get into who is using these sexual technologies, let me ask what we know about how widespread these things are. So do we know anything about how many people have ever used a sex doll or robot or chatbot? Are there any reliable stats on that? So that's a good question. So, you know, I think that there's an important distinction to make here between sex dolls and sex robots and chatbots. They're three very different technologies, and the users overlap to a considerable degree, but there certainly are distinct users for each technology. And so when it comes to sex robots, which have either artificial intelligence or some ability to blink or move their mouth or something like that, the number of users is very, very, very low, probably less than 1% of the population. And that's mostly because of the stigma and the cost of them. They're just too expensive for you know even the average person who might be interested in using them to access one. As for dolls, which have all of the sexual functions, but none of the robotic or artificial intelligent components, that number is harder to come by. I've seen estimates as high as 3%. But it's probably lower, realistically speaking. But it's definitely going to be a you know, single percent kind of number. Chatbots, the user base seems to be much higher. Replica is one of the number one apps on the App Store and the health and wellness, or at least it was at one point, with something like tens or hundreds of thousands of users. Thanks for sharing all of that and for making those distinctions between all of these different forms of technology. And I think you're so right that the chatbots have much higher engagement, in part because the bar to access them is much lower. There are more options available. It's more cost-effective. And when you consider how widespread something like ChatGPT is, right, you know, that's not a sex chat app or anything like that. But the ease of access with it makes it something that has become very widespread in the population very quickly. For the dolls and robots, that's a totally different story, and they are much more expensive. So when it comes to using sex dolls, robots, and chatbots, you know, as you mentioned, the user base might vary a little bit across these different technologies, but who's using them? So in terms of things like age, gender, relationship status, what do the demographic backgrounds of the users look like? Yeah, absolutely. So doll users 
and robot users are much more similar. And I would say that the modal or the average person that you might expect to use these technologies is someone who's middle-aged. They're probably either divorced or have cohabitated with somebody for some period of time. The relationship has ended. And that's a big motivation for why they use these technologies, because being in their 50s or 60s, after having kind of achieved all of the normal life goals, be in a relationship, have kids, cohabitate, they feel that going back and trying to do this all over again doesn't really make sense for them. They like being single. They like their life. They don't want to have to share a house with somebody new. And so the dolls make more sense at that point in time. The majority of users are also heterosexual overwhelmingly cisgender men, but there are a number of queer users and women users, and I think those users are starting to become perhaps more visible within the spaces where these people congregate. Chatbot users, on the other hand, similar in that it's mostly men, but there are more women users there. Probably, you know, with dolls and robots, you're talking like 10% or less are women, whereas chatbots, it might be as much as 25% are women. Again, mostly heterosexual, but the chatbot users lean much more younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so chatbot users tend to be this younger demographic. And that kind of makes me wonder a bit about the motivations behind these users, because there are some differences in those demographic profiles, which we'll get to in just a moment. But before we do that, let me first ask a question about the stereotypes that people hold about people who are drawn to any of these technologies. You know, one of them is probably the idea that users of these technologies are perhaps lacking in social skills, and they have an inability to form relationships with other people. So maybe that's why they want to talk to a chatbot or have sex with a robot or doll. So is that something you've seen in your work in terms of that stereotype? And what are some of the other common stereotypes about sex tech users? Yeah, that's definitely probably the most prevalent stereotype is that there's some sort of social anxiety or inability to attract people. And so these are a a last resort of not being able to achieve sexual or romantic relationships in the normal way. And I think another closely coupled stereotype is that a lot of people feel especially among men who use these dolls, that they hate women, that they're misogynistic, that they have very objectifying views of women and women's bodies and hold patriarchal ideals very deeply. So I would say those are probably the two biggest stereotypes. Yeah, so the stereotypes center around the idea that these are either socially inept people or they're just bad people, right? So it doesn't paint a very positive picture. And I think that that often comes out in these popular media articles where when people are talking about, you know, often the positive side of things, they're focusing on how that might be an outlet for people who, you know, have that difficulty connecting with others. But on the other hand, they in the articles where they're talking about the negative side of things, they're talking about these people who are misogynistic, aggressive towards women, and that they're going to come in and interact with these dolls in harmful ways that are going to create more violence in the real world. So, you know, that's kind of the the narrative that I tend to see in a lot of those articles. But what is the truth when it comes to the accuracy of these stereotypes? You know, is there any truth to them? And if not, what are the key factors that motivate people to utilize these kinds of technologies? 
Yeah, you know, I think that's a, a really important question to ask because, you know, as a social scientist, I don't think that it's either or. I think that stereotypes are often rooted in maybe a little bit of truth, but they tend to exaggerate or overly focus on these negative aspects. So when it comes to people who, quote unquote, lack the ability to attract people in the normal ways, I don't find that is very common among doll and robot users. And in fact, there's a number of times where I've seen people who are younger express that they want to buy a doll or they want to buy a robot, and they talk to other people who are more experienced, and the older, more experienced people actively try to dissuade them from doing it. And they say, you know, spending your 20s, 30s, and 40s in a relationship, having kids can be a a very fulfilling thing, and I don't think that you should opt out of that so early in your life. Maybe come back in 40 years and we can talk about it then. And so the majority of them have been in successful relationships to find one way or another, whether they were married or they had kids. Um, and so really, age is this, this major factor. I've also spoken to a number of people who have dolls and are still in relationships with their partners, but to a variety of factors, whether it's age-related health reasons, loss of sexual interest, or for some people, the desire to have extramarital sexual partners, but they don't want to use dating apps or try to pick up people at the bar. And so these couples integrate dolls into their sex lives. So really, I think the ability aspect is missing the point here. It's more so people's sexual selves evolving over time and using dolls to meet a variety of needs. As for the stereotype about people being misogynistic or hating women, There is an element of that within doll and robot users. They're not the majority of users, but they do exist. And I think, again, a big part of that is not necessarily that they are bad people or that they have these deeply held misogynistic views. I think it's often that they're coming out of bad relationships and they're processing that trauma and trying to find a way to make sense of why they were wronged or cheated on or why the relationship didn't work out the way they expected it to. That's fascinating. So there can be these very distinct motivations for why people might be drawn to these technologies. And as you mentioned, there might be a hint of truth to some of those stereotypes, but that's certainly not the full story in terms of why people might use a sex doll or robot or chatbot. So in terms of you know those motivations, reasons for utilizing these technologies, we talked about how it might be an outlet for people who you know, maybe we're previously in a relationship, but no longer want all the baggage of being in a relationship with another human being, a way to kind of explore their sexuality, a a way to, you know, kind of practice consensual non-monogamy and, you know, be in a relationship, but not have another human partner, right? So I guess an important question is, yes, there are these very diverse motivations, but do these technologies effectively meet people's needs? So are people satisfied when they use them? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question. It's something that I have found difficult to answer. Self-reported data would suggest that most users are happy with their purchases and feel that they meet their needs. The one main thing that people don't like about them 
is they're not as user-friendly as people might expect them to be. So they're very heavy. They can be anywhere from 80 to 90 pounds. And as we said, right, these users tend to be older. And so if people are having health problems, moving the dolls around or cleaning them can be very cumbersome. Another problem that some users experience is that a number of companies use TPE, which is thermoplastic elastomer. We use it in a lot of applications. Your toothbrush handle is probably made out of TPE, for example. A lot of other sex toys are made out of TPE. It's a cheaper alternative to silicone, which is the preferred medical-grade material. But TPE is very volatile, and so some people have adverse skin reactions to their dolls, and so they find that becoming intimate with them leads to flare-ups of skin problems and things like that. So there's some material considerations that make people unhappy with their purchase. But by and large, most people are happy with them. One of the things that's interesting from looking at the research is that a lot of people have written about the potential for dolls to be used as a form of harm reduction. So, you know, if people have pedophilic interests or bestiality interests or violent sexual fantasies, could they use these dolls as an outlet so that they don't harm real people, children, animals, things like that? And what's interesting is that research would suggest that people who actually have those interests are the least likely to think that the robots would work or that the dolls would work. It's something that non-users kind of import onto those people. Yeah. And, you know, that is another big claim that we hear in a lot of the popular media articles. There's this big debate about whether these dolls and robots could be used as that form of harm reduction. And the truth is that we really don't know the answer to it because there's not really a lot in the way of good data to draw on there. But yeah, you do raise that important point of, you know, for the people who would be the target audience for that in terms of using this for harm reduction, would they actually want to use it? Would they believe that it would work? Again, these are just kinds of unexplored questions and plenty of directions here for future research. This episode of the Sex and Psychology Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like you spend so much time taking care of everyone else's needs that you don't have time to even think about taking care of your own? If so, you're definitely not alone. And when we spend all of our time giving, it's easy to feel burnt out. We all need to find the right balance between supporting others and taking care of ourselves. And that's where therapy can help. BetterHelp can connect you with a licensed therapist who can give you the tools you need to find your balance. Therapy can help you to develop positive coping skills, learn how to establish boundaries, and empower you to be the best version of you. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's 100% online and flexible to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and they'll match you with a licensed therapist, but you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sexandpsych today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sex and psych. Now, as we discussed earlier, there's a pretty big gender difference in usage of sex dolls and robots. I previously did an episode of this show where I interviewed a journalist, Allie Lieberman, about an article she wrote on heterosexual women who buy male sex dolls. So we know that some women are using these technologies, but at much lower rates compared to men. And I think the question is why? So does it have to do with manufacturers gearing their products more toward men? Is there simply less interest on the part of women? You know, what do you think accounts for that gender difference? 
I think it's a little bit of everything. A lot of the women I spoke to who who do have dolls, one of the problems and frustrations they have is that there's not a lot of diversity in terms of the models that you could buy. So there's you know hundreds, if not thousands, of different ways that you could customize a female sex doll. Breast size, hair color, eye color, all of these different features. There's really nowhere near the sort of options of male sex dolls. Some companies don't even have a model, or they might have one or two. That is starting to change, but it's still nowhere near parity. So, one, there's what people are offered and what people are able to purchase. I think there's also a lot of stigma against women exploring their sexuality, especially in transgressive ways. Uh, We see gender disparity in a lot of transgressive sexual communities, not just doll ownership, but also things like furries, for example, tend to be mostly men. There's something about that social stigma that is certainly still there. And then finally, I would say that if you look at the online spaces where doll owners congregate, so there's a number of forums and blogs and social media sites that they use to communicate it's very clear from Belinda Middleweek's research that it comes from a male perspective. It caters to men's interests. They're talking about men's problems or men's ideas or men's even things just like sports and you know regular banter. And so I don't think that women who go onto those websites find that they're able to get much out of them and wouldn't feel welcome in those communities. Yeah, so the answer here is probably partially the same reason as to why women tend to use porn at lower rates than men. One is that, you know, a lot of porn is made by men for men and it caters to this very specific audience. And so, you know, if you don't have the same sort of options available for women who might be potential consumers here, then that's going to restrict uh, the target market and audience. But I think you make a really good point about the role of stigma here and especially the way that sexual double standards exist and how women are more harshly penalized for engaging in transgressive forms of sexuality. And, you know, when it comes to using something like a sex doll or a robot, there is a lot of stigma against anybody who uses it, but that bar might be even higher for women than it is compared to men. Now, I think it's important to address the ethical considerations surrounding these technologies because that always comes up anytime this is a topic of discussion. So, for example, there's a lot of worry that these technologies are going to push us apart and erode human connection. As we mentioned, there's that concern about increasing aggressive behavior. What are some of the other ethical concerns raised in relation to sex dolls, robots, or chatbots? I mean, there's a long list of ethical considerations that people have brought up. The ones that you bring up are probably the most common ones. You know, is this eroding connections between humans? Is it changing the way that we relate to one another? Is it perhaps going to change expectations or enhance expectations for women's bodies to conform to certain ideals among men? You know, and there's a prominent scholar, Kathleen Richardson, who's very anti-sexual, anti-sex robot, and she argues that this will ultimately lead to the dehumanization of women and that they'll be viewed as basically purely objects. And, you know, I think these are all really important questions to ask. To me, they mirror a lot of the same concerns that we see in debates on other transgressive sexual interests, whether it's watching pornography, using vibrators. We see kind of the same arguments over and over again of if people do these transgressive sexual things, what does that mean for the human race? 
Yeah, you know, you totally read my mind because that's where my next question was going to go. You know, because one of the key concerns with sex dolls and robots is this question of whether they're going to become these substitutes for human relationships or whether they'll be complements. So, you know, is it an either or kind of thing or something we do in addition to having and maintaining existing human connection? And we hear those concerns raised with respect to men's use of porn and masturbation and with respect to women's use of vibrators, you know, as you just mentioned. And a lot of people find those things threatening because they're viewed as substitutes for a partner rather than as complements to an existing sexual relationship. So, you know, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this concern. You know, do you think it reflects some deeper fear or insecurity that we're eventually going to be rejected in favor of dolls or robots? You know, how worried about that should we be? I don't know that people have a deep fear of being rejected in favor of a chatbot or a robot. I actually think that, for me, what this research has reaffirmed is a sense that we have a tendency to double down on these ideas of heteronormativity. And what I think the use of pornography or vibrators or dolls or other transgressive sex acts suggests is that heteronormativity doesn't really work for most people. People want to masturbate, people want to have extramarital relations, people want to be serial monogamy. There's a lot of diverse sexual interests in the population, and expecting everybody to conform to the same monogamous heterosexual standard is an unrealistic one, but we tend not to question it, and instead we tend to question the ways that people try to meet their sexual desires outside of it. Yeah, that's a brilliantly phrased point. I really appreciate you mentioning that. Now, you know, when it comes to all the concerns people have about these technologies, I know that data in this area is limited and lacking currently, but are there any studies, is there anything we can say about potential long-term effects when it comes to utilizing this kind of tech? Or do we have any sense of how they affect people's mental well-being and relationships? I know you said that satisfaction rates tend to be high, but do we have data that can speak to any of those other areas? Well, with chatbots, we really don't have anything long-term because they're so new and they're really only just being explored. I think with dolls, one of the long-term effects that I've seen in my research and from reading other people's research as well that is somewhat interesting and I'm not sure what to make of it at this point is that many doll owners end up owning multiple so they don't just have one they might have two or three or I've you know met some people who had as many as a dozen or more and so you know that suggests that there's something long term about being in this community or engaging in this practice where people feel a need to keep adding on to it. So the idea that it's just a one-to-one supplement of one doll, one partner doesn't really seem to work out on the ground in practice. And another long-term effect that I've seen is as people get older and they start thinking about their will and what's going to happen when they pass on, is there is a lot of kind of end of life fear about what's going to happen if they die 
one, what's going to happen to their doll, because they tend to care for them very much. But then also, two, if they die, what's going to happen when people find out that they have a doll, right? That their family or friends um, are going to be going through their things and find this stuff. Because it's often a very secret part of their life that they don't share with friends and family. And so leading that double life, when it gets to a point where it might come to an end, can lead to some anxiety around how to navigate that situation? Is it something that they ultimately share? Do they try and get rid of the dolls before it's too late? Or do they just say, well, you know what? I'm going to be dead, so it doesn't really matter to me. That is so fascinating and something I had never thought about in all of this. You know, what happens when you pass away and it's discovered that you have this whole harem of sex dolls in your house? Yeah, there is that concern that I can see some people having about, you know, what would this mean for my reputation or legacy if people were to discover this? It goes back to that stigma point. But how do you manage that? And what do people do in terms of estate planning? Do they want somebody to care for their doll after they're gone? Maybe because they had that very strong bond with it. So fascinating questions and lots of things to explore here in future research. Now, I have one more question for you about this line of research on sex doll users and you know what motivates people to utilize them, which is what's been the response to your research? Has it been positive or negative? Have you gotten any pushback over it? What is the experience like of being a sex doll researcher? I would say that my reputation precedes me in academic circles. I'm often the sex doll guy at conferences that I go to or when I give presentations and things like that. But overwhelmingly, people are interested. It's a topic that people have a lot of questions about. I also think that I've been generally well-received by the community. The people that I have interviewed, a lot of them read some of my work, and they generally like it. They have some critiques, you know, mainly me bringing up questions around, you know, the misogyny. And I point out that some of them are somewhat misogynistic and they don't always like that. But as a researcher, I try to stick to the facts and be empirical about it. And I'm quite clear that it's not all of them. So they appreciate that fact. But it has been, you know, an interesting journey being in this area of research, and it's opened up a lot of opportunities to international scholarship and collaboration. I think that there's something about people in the UK and Australia that they're much more open to taking this as a serious topic. I don't have a lot of domestic colleagues, realistically, here in the United States, and some of the journals that I've tried to publish in just categorically reject it but then other journals are much more open to it. So finding the correct outlets and the right people to work with has been a little tricky. I totally get everything you're saying. You know, the journey of just being a sex researcher in general can be a challenging one to constantly have to make the case for why you do what you do and why it's important. Because when it comes to any sex-related topic, but especially something like sex dolls or robots, a lot of people will just trivialize it or it'll get sensationalized when it's talked about in the media. And if you actually looked at and read the research, you would see that this is really serious discussion about an important and timely topic and why we need to be talking about this now. Because as these technologies evolve, we need to know what are the effects of them one way or another. And in order to you know best build these technologies to meet people's needs, we have to understand how they affect people. So you know, I appreciate that you're doing work in this area and helping to bring attention to these issues that are often not discussed or get trivialized or sensationalized because we need more serious discussion around them. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. It is, um, it's a topic that people find endlessly fascinating, but they are quick to, as you said, trivialize. So thank you for this amazing conversation, Ken. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So again, my name is Ken Hansen. I'm an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Wyoming. You can find my work in a number of academic journals, Symbolic Interaction, Deviant Behavior, Current Sexual Health Reports. But probably the best way to get a hold of me is on Twitter, which is at Ken underscore R underscore Hansen, Hansen spelled H-A-N-S-O-N. And thank you so much, Justin, for having me on the show. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate having you here, and I'll be sure to include links to everything you mentioned in the show notes. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.